Welcome to Church Project. We're, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to James. If, if you do not have a Bible, there's one uh, near uh, in, in the aisle or over on the lamps. And so if you want to grab one of those, we've, we've started the study of James. And on, on the blue Bibles that are there, you can turn it to page 699. And we're going to begin to look at the book of James. At Church Project, we go through and we take the Bible and one of the things that I love about the way that we do church here is that we say, hey, we're going to walk through a book. We're going to look at the context. We're going to look who wrote what, why, when, to who, and what that actually means to us today. And our hope is that this, is that on Sunday mornings, there's this wonderful thing called this monologue. And you hear a lot of this guy talking, right? But hopefully this is what's happening, is that the Spirit is teaching you some personal message for yourself and we're learning together how to read Scripture and study Scripture. And then the hope is this. The hope is that all of us, every single one of us, we find our way to a house church. And, and house churches are on the website. You can find the times and the locations. And then this Sunday morning thing called a monologue turns into a dialogue. And we get to go, I wonder what, what James was saying in this portion. I wonder what this means to me. And, and this is how it, 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 it plays itself out in my life. I'm telling you, if you're not part of a house church, we ask you, get, in, get part of a house church because this is where the Bible comes alive. This morning, though, we have a great message. And it's James, and he's talking to us. He's talking to the church. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But church, I want to celebrate something with you, okay? If you're a first-time guest, welcome. We're glad that you're here. One of the things that, that kind of we focus on at Church Project, we do our Sunday gatherings, that's this. We do our house churches, which I just talked about, all throughout the week. And then we do ministry partnerships. And through Church Project, just the organization of Church Project, what we aim to do is that 50% of every dollar that comes in to that little tissue box back there called our offering plate, 50% of everything that comes in, we want to turn around and go right back out our doors to these ministry partnerships. And, when we've, and we join together with effective ministries for the cause of Christ in Greeley and throughout the world. And so I want to celebrate something with you, though. We are a tiny little church, but God has used us in some incredible ways. This last year, we were able to partner with some very effective ministries, and we gave thousands of dollars away. I want to highlight one to you, because about a year ago, we stood up and said, guys, we have a ministry partnership in Haiti, and we, we feel like God is asking us to go to the, the village it called the Bushwin in Haiti, and build a church building that's going to serve as a church building, but it's also going to serve as a school in the future, and we're going to have a pastor go to this place where there, there is no pastor. In fact, it's surrounded by voodoo doctors all over the place, and I'm telling you, a place that needs hope and love and the gospel message is Bushwin. So we stood and we said, church, let's do something about this. And I, I want to show you a couple pictures, okay? Uh, we had a team that went there two weeks ago, and the Rosinskis and April uh, went there to celebrate Christmas. Now, if you were coming here in December, we, we gave a list. We said, hey, we're going. We're going to the orphanage. We're going down there. Let's, let's bless these people. And so we began to collect things, and, and a lot of you donated stuff. And so here's the Christmas tree. Just look at all these little, little presents right here that, that we sent down a couple weeks ago. Then go to the, the next slide. I like the result of those pictures. Oh, yeah, that's Kayla. Just beautiful. You guys got to see it firsthand. She's a sweetie. 
Yeah, playing with that toy. I guess she unwrapped a toy and played with it for 30 minutes. They're like, get this, get this going. We got more here, okay? So there's that. But I'll, what I really want to show you is the, the next two slides here. Church, this is worth celebrating. Look at that. That was uh, empty just a little bit ago. Go ahead into the next. You can get the, you can get the, the next slide. So we actually, we, we own a church building, not in America, but, but this is where we meet. Like, how many of you would rather meet there? Like, that is gorgeous. That is awesome. Uh, so church, I just want, can we just take a minute and thank God for what he's done and just celebrate that as a church, this is something that we get to be a part of. And so, I, oh, yeah, okay. That's cool. That's real cool. Thank you for being about something bigger than ourselves. Thank you for taking the resources that God has given us and looking up and saying, how can this message hit the world? Church, thank you. It's an honor to be a part of of this church with you, and I love seeing what God's doing here. So thank you for allowing me to to be a pastor here. Let's jump into James. It's on page 699. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Yes, we're getting through two verses today. Congratulations. It's going to be great. I think God has an incredible message for us today. As we look at James, James was written by, who do you think? Yes, very good. 100%. That's the kind of testing I liked in high school. It's like, all right, I know that answer. Okay, James was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, an interesting fact about this half-brother of Jesus, he didn't believe that his half-brother Jesus was the Messiah. Odd enough, how many of you, if your brother or sister came to you and said, I am the Messiah, would believe him? (laughs) Whatever. Now, what it took to convince the half-brother James that Jesus was actually the Messiah was that Jesus hung on the cross, and James watched his brother hanging there and died a physical death, buried in physical death. Three days later, rose from the dead, and that would be cause of going, I think he might be right. James suddenly comes, becomes a believer and says, this is Jesus. I've seen him. I've walked with him. I've seen him die, and I've seen him resurrected. And he believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so, suddenly James comes from just a pacifist and, and almost, I, I want, I, Jesus, you're losing your mind, to one of the biggest supporters and one of the biggest movements in the New Testament church. And, and thus, we get this book. It's the earliest New Testament manuscript known. And that's because it was written only years after Jesus died. It was written in the 40s. 40 was when this book was written. It's written to a people on the run. It's written to a group of people. If you want to look in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, that's kind of where this book and that time frame is written. It's written to a group of people that are on the run. And who are these groups of people? Christians. Christians that by the numbers saw Jesus die and resurrected. And by the numbers, not only James, but thousands of people, probably 20,000 Christians at this, at Christians at this time in Judea and, and Jerusalem began to believe in the Messiah, that Jesus, the one that we saw die and resurrected, he is the Messiah. So we see this, the church starting to gain momentum and energy all until one event, the stoning of Stephen. 
We see Stephen is stoned, and we see persecution by Saul break out, and we see Christians starting to get persecuted. And these Christians that were here are now scattered. It's called the diaspora. They're scattered throughout the region, and they're running for their lives in certain cases, and they're, they're getting persecuted. They're getting beat up. They're getting made fun of. And this is who James is writing to. He's writing to refugees. What's a refugee? A refugee who is someone that is, has to force, they're forced to leave their home country. They're, they're forced to leave because of circumstances. And so we see refugees that are leaving right now, leaving their homeland. But there's something about refugees that are so beautiful. And we're even seeing this as, as part of the American culture. You know, as we open our, our arms and, and accept and welcome refugees from all around the world is exactly what was happening at this time because there's something beautiful that happens when refugees have to leave their homeland. What do they do? They take their heritage and they take their culture and they begin to change wherever they go in beautiful, beautiful ways. As Christians, are, are we accepting people that are different than us? That, that are we uh, experiencing this love message and letting different cultures come to us and different ways of thoughts as, as we go out and we live, we live the gospel message amongst us? So James is writing to this people. He's saying, I'm going I'm to encourage you because you're getting persecuted, and this letter is for you. It was for them, and it's for us. Because we are the results of Christians getting persecuted and leaving and spreading this gospel message. We owe so much to James, for, to God for giving us this message. If we look at the book of James, we said this last week, just in these 108 verses that we're going to come across and we're going to study here the next few weeks or months, however long we're in James, out of the 108 verses that we're going to come across, 59 of them contain imperative forms of the verb, of verbs, imperative forms of verbs. So if you know what those are, those aren't like merely suggestions or like, hey, we think you should probably, maybe. No, an imperative form of verb is this, do this, like do this. And James is writing and he's saying, to live a godly life, Christians do this. A lot of instruction that we come across in this book of James. There's two themes that we're going to see recurring as we begin studying this book. One is a call to have and somehow live in peace, patience. And the other part of this book is to gain wisdom. And we're going to see these themes recurring the next time, as long as we're in James. We're going to see these themes occurring. And it's James teaching us how to have patience and how to have wisdom all along. The main theme of James is to reflect God's glory. To realize how big and awesome and mighty God is. And as we're doing that, James is teaching us how to live godly lives. Church, are you ready to get into this thing? Let's study this. Let's get going. Let's see what God has for us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here today. I pray that all distractions are removed. I pray that our mind is sharp, that our heart is soft, and that, God, we are attuned to your spirit. Please teach us who you are and show us who you are today. And it's your name we pray. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. 
page 699 of the Blue Bibles. Let's read it together. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How many of you want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? You can raise your hands. It's okay. We'll, we'll kind of shake up this monologue here. We'll raise your hands. Kind of, there we go. Me, count me in. Like, James, what are you saying? God, what are you showing? Because in what I'm seeing in these two verses right here, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? How can I consider trials a joy? You ever thought that? How can I consider that a joy? And then in verse 3, it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want to live this message. I want to encounter trials and, and different various trials in my life. And I want to have the mindset that James is teaching, that we would count it pure joy because we know that it's going to produce in us steadfastness as we stay resolute and focused on God, regardless of the temporal situation that we're in today. How many of you have ever faced various trials of all kinds? It's, all, it's okay. You can raise your hand. We're okay. So James is writing, he's saying to a people on the run, people being stoned to death, as we see in Stephen's, he's saying to embrace the various trials that they will encounter. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to embrace these various trials that we're encountering? How can being diagnosed with the disease be something that we can embrace? Because if it hasn't, it might happen in our life. How are we supposed to embrace that as something full of joy? How are we supposed to do that on this side of heaven as we all have flesh and feelings and emotions? When we get that diagnosis, how are we supposed to embrace that with joy? How can a sudden death of a loved one be embraced with joy? Tell me. Please explain that to me. Like, let's go to coffee and maybe you can help me understand this. How, how am I supposed to do that? How are we supposed to do that? How can the loss of a job or a deep, unexpected pain be embraced in our life? We all have trials of many kinds, don't we? Some are small. Some are huge. So how are we supposed to embrace these? Not only embrace them, but consider them joy. James begins to go on. He begins to talk about this. Embrace our trials for what they produce, not for what they are. We embrace our trials for what they produce in us, not for what they are. And so as we come across trials this week, and I guarantee we will, because you're going to want to make it through that green light, but it's going to turn yellow, and you're going to be like, this red light is now a trial. What should I do? As small and stupid as that is, we are going to embrace trials all week long, small, just silly ones to huge, big ones. And it is imperative, Christians, that when we look at trials, we embrace the trials for what they produce in us. And that's what James is teaching. These trials produce things in us and we turn our eyes off of the trials and we turn them to Jesus who is perfecting us and growing us to be more like him 
How many of us have learned because we got it all together? Like, we're just that good. Like, we, we, we were born all wise and all knowledgeable. Anyone? You know, we learn through trials, don't we? We learn through errors. We learn that that stove actually is hot. We shouldn't touch it. Oops. Like, this is how we learn. And this is what James is teaching us. He's saying, don't focus on that trial, by the way. And, oh, I'm good at focusing on that trial. That thing, that thing that keeps me up at night, the thing I'm worried about. Like, I focus on that more than I focus on what God may be doing in me as he's grown me to be more like himself. Do you do the same? It's so key that we embrace trials for what they produce in us, not for what they are. No one will ever say, well, maybe, I won't say that. Probably, high probability, no one will ever say, man, I'm so pumped I have cancer. Yeah, this is awesome. I don't, I've never, ever received a celebration to say, hey, come to my house. We want to celebrate a miscarriage or a broken dream or discouraging, despairing news. Like, have you ever received an invitation for something like this in the mail? I have not. As humans, we have to mourn. We have to go through pain. We have the full spectrum of emotions, just like Jesus did when he walked this earth, full of anger at times. And you see that in the the person of Jesus, full of tears, Jesus crying, and just in despair, going, oh, God, what are you doing? We see this in the person of Jesus as we study Jesus. And and I, I say this, Christians, study the person, the life of Jesus. Because he shows us what it means to, to be human. He's fully human, yet he's fully God. And in no way is James saying, hey, those trials, yeah, send invitations for everyone to celebrate. He's saying process them as humans and live through them and be real to your emotions and, and be real to the pain of those moments. But don't focus on that pain. Focus on who I am. If you stay focused on me, God is saying to us, that pain will be irrelevant. I'm going to help you through it. It's going to be real. You're going to need other people to walk through that pain. You may need counseling. You may need biblical advice. Well, I'll say we need biblical advice, direction. You may need house churches, relationships. It may take a while to process through that pain. And don't just skip over that and be a happy, happy Christian. There's no pain, nothing wrong with me. Walk through that as long as it takes. Get as much help as you possibly can in these moments and in these trials. But never focus more on that pain and that trial than you are on Jesus Christ and what he's doing in you. Amen, church? (laughs) How can we have hope in the darkest of trials? Some of us have been through dark times. Some of us are going through dark, hard trials. Some of us are, it's right around the corner. We don't know what's coming. I don't know that if it's encouraging to you or not, but when we read James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in this beautiful book, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Not if you meet trials. It will happen. And so how can we have hope in the darkest of trials? In this life, you will have troubles. It's not if, but when you have trials. I have overcome every trial. Focus on me is the message that Jesus is teaching us in his gospel. 
I have done it. Focus on me. Don't focus on that trial. Focus on, the me, on me. In the end, this trial will lead to your patience and wisdom. Do you trust in me? Are you focused on me? And as a Christian, I don't want to just say, God, use the good parts of my life to reflect your glory. I want to be able to stand and say, God, do whatever in me, whatever it takes in me to make me more like you so I can reflect the fullness of your glory in all aspects of my life. And sometimes that's going to mean, oftentimes that's going to mean through the trials and through the hard things that we're going through, not being swayed by the advice of man, but staying steadfast in the word of God and saying, God, your word says this and I will do this regardless of the cost regardless of the pain regardless of how hard it is I stand firm on your foundation of truth and I proclaim that in my life Christian don't be wishy-washy don't be a a person driven by emotions who's just like we'll see here in a little bit a, a man tossed by the waves of the sea but we say God I believe in you and your word regardless of the trial keep me focused on your word your truth and the person of Jesus Christ as I reflect you in the good times and in the bad times may the world see how to live through bad times because you're giving me patience and wisdom to do so as I focus on you that's my prayer that's my prayer You can have it too if you want it. I'll share it. Paul had something to say in this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I didn't look that up in the blue Bible, so sorry. It's somewhere near there. Just start turning to the left. You'll find it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. Paul says this. And if you're familiar with the writing of Paul and the person of Paul, this is what he says in in these two verses. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need what he said previously. Just read it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Church, have we learned to be content whatever the circumstances? I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's one of those cute Bible verses that, that, you know, people like to quote. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Absolutely. What's the context of this verse say? I can go hungry in him who gives me strength. I can be in need and do it because it's him who gives me strength. It's not only just I can win the Super Bowl and he gives me strength. It's through the trials, the hard times even. Paul has learned to be content in every situation as he focuses on Jesus. Have we, church? Have we? Again, that's my prayer. You can use it too. If we learned anything from the 80s, you know, you knew this was coming. I love 80s music. Are there any places to karaoke 80s here in Greeley? We need to go. That wasn't in my notes, but that's just a desire of my heart. I'm ready to see I'm ready to sing some karaoke 80s, okay? Lauren will jump pipe in too. We, we harmonize well for the 80s, huh, girl? Oh, we make a good team. If we learned anything from the 80s, we learned to not turn a problem into a crisis. 
I'm trying to pull truth out of the 80s here, okay? We learned to be patient, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> patience, grasshopper. We also learned from Heinz that it's worth the wait. Yeah, I think we actually have a video of that. No, for real, I think we do. Crank that, crank that up. I have been waiting. Waiting all day. Waiting ever so patiently. For this. Hi, it's worth the wait. <laughs> Sorry for that side little. I don't know what that was about. You're welcome. I'll just say that. Patience, wisdom, endurance through trials, through hard times, through good times. Our trials produce, if we look at our scripture in James 1, 2, and 4, our trials produce steadfastness, steadfastness, unmovable in us. We are made complete through the trials, church. It's worth the wait. It's worth God maturing us. It's worth the tears. It's worth the pain. It's worth the joy. Realizing that, that all of life comes down to just one thing, and that's to know him and to make him known. As we embrace these trials with joy, so we focus not on the trial, but we focus on Jesus who's maturing us through this. Let's look at our scripture. Count. Count. In the Greek, if you look up that word, to have control over or to make a decisive personal choice, that's big. The original Greek says this word count means to make a decisive personal choice how we're going to handle these trials. So it says, count. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience in our life. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing is more humbling than the waiting room. Embracing for the bad news that may come through the doors as we sit in the waiting room. The word that may come out. Nothing is, is more humbling than that. In these types of moments, I have witnessed the rawest human nature. Ones that say there is a God or there isn't a God. I've witnessed people in the waiting room call out to a God. Because it's in the waiting room, you have no control. There's nothing that you can do. All you're doing is sitting there and waiting for the doctors to come through and to give that news, good or bad. And it's a humbling place to be. As in those moments, I've witnessed people's pride just crumble. As a pastor, I've sat with a lot of people in waiting rooms, um, beside hospital beds. Uh, I think... 90% of the blood in my body contains caffeine. 
from all the coffees that I've been able to have with people going through hard, hard times. That's an honor to sit with you. Thank you. I've seen it. I've seen people in the rawest moments say, how am I supposed to live through this child? What am I supposed to do? It's humbling. It's in these places that God whispers to us. And he whispers to us in unison. His word has never changed from the beginning of time till now. And he whispers what we even sing about every Sunday morning. And and just beautiful. I love worshiping. Jeremy, thank you for leading us. Band, thank you for all this talent and ability that's up here as we sing. As we sing our theology. And the theology that we sing right here is this. It's in these places God whispers, I am good. And we are not. We are broken. Some trials we overcome all right, don't we? But some, they kick our tails, don't they? We are not perfect. God is perfect. And we need God. And it's in these broken places we get to whisper, God, or we get to hear and receive God whispering to us, I am good. I am in control. Trust me. I have never changed, and I will never change. My message remains the same. I am good. Christian, that should put a smile on your face, knowing that our power is found in Jesus, in God, not in our inadequate or what we think adequate actions, but in the person of Jesus. The end of this road leads to being complete, And lacking nothing. Our life. It leads to that. As God continues to shape us. And that fancy word. Sanctify us and grow us to be more like him. This road leads to us being complete. And lacking of nothing. And this road is going to contain mountain highs. Where we're celebrating. It's going to contain valley lows. As God whispers to us the truth. That we are already but not yet realized. We are already complete in God, but it's not yet realized. We already lack nothing, but it's not yet realized. He's grown us to be more like him every single day. I thank God that the the maturation rate of Aaron in relationship to God has this slow and steady climb like this. Now, now, if you look, you, look, you look at my life, there's moments where it's like, yeah, he was good that day. Bad, good, but yeah. But as I look past the trajectory of my life, I humbly say, God, thank you for slowly, through trials and good times, making me more like you every single day as I keep my eyes focused on you. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's not through helping old grandmas cross the street, though that's kind of cute. It's about staying focused on God in the good and the bad. This is what James is saying. He's saying, church, as as they run, stay focused on me. God, may we focus on you in the middle of this trial. James is writing to a people that's scattered and on the move, a people that are removed from their familiar surroundings, the comfort and the protection of their home, And their faith was not something that they visited on Sunday morning. Their faith was something that they were having to live out every day as a church being persecuted. And that's a message for us today, by the way, the year 2016. 
that we focus on Christ. It's not just about Sunday mornings. It's about every moment of our day realizing that when the trials comes, the mountains highs, the valley lows, that it's Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and our goal is to focus on him and to reflect his glory more and more every day, focusing less on the trials and more on God himself. The only hope that this church had is the same only hope that we had as they were dispersed, running for their lives in circum- certain circumstances. Their only hope was to stay focused on, on God and let the Holy Spirit work in their life and guide and lean on each other as a church. And I ask us, are we leaning on each other as a church? Are we in relationship with the people in this room? Here's a good litmus test to this, by the way, okay? How many people's houses in this room right now could you drive to without Google Maps? It's a good litmus test. Could you drive to other people's houses because you've been there? Because you're in relationships with people. It's just this important. So this early church, they lived with an urgent sense of mission and purpose. And when they had this mission and purpose and they stayed focused on God and what he was doing in the middle of the trials, that message spread from their villages to us today. We stand on the shoulders of these men and women that James is writing to. I'm so thankful for this letter. So this trial helps me to be consciously aware of my need for God. I think that can almost summarize these two verses. The trials that we encounter today, tomorrow, and the future, these trials help us to be consciously aware of our need for God. We can easily make this life about us. And when we do, we're derailing church. But when we stay focused on Christ, he grows us to be more and more like himself. It's a beautiful message. It's pretty simple. But man, I forget it often. How about you? When I have faced trials, it's human nature to self-medicate in the darkest hours. It's human nature. Whatever form of self-medication you choose. I've learned it wasn't more sleep that I've needed. Oh, if I just sleep a little longer, I'll feel better tomorrow. Not in those darkest hours. I've actually learned that no amount of fine food or great coffee or that special drink would, in, would calm my inner storms or the restlessness and discontent of my spirit and my soul. The finest foods wouldn't even fix these moments, the darkest hours. And I've even learned, as hard as it is to me admit, that not even people could fit that need. Not even the people I love the most could fill that need. The restlessness, the dark trials, the hard times. 
Nothing could fill the emptiness in my life. In essence, no, in my darkest and loneliest hours, no pleasure can be found on this earth. This is the message that people get to hold on to and live out every single day when they don't have the good news of the gospel. When you don't have the good news of the gospel, there is no earthly thing that's going to get you through that trial and that hard time and those lonely places and those depression, depressing moments and those things, those things we've, we've all lived without the person of Jesus and the gospel message and who he is, there is no hope. That's why we're here. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we have house churches. That's why we have ministry partnerships. That's why we look each other in the eyes and we invite different people in this room for lunch after this. By the way, invite someone to lunch after this. And then if you invite them, then you say, would you pay for me too? It works out great. That's why we enter in these relationships. That's why we live on mission urgently, not complacently, because we know that in those darkest hours, the only thing that fixed us was the person of Jesus Christ. And we desperately need him. Empty without him. And James is giving a subtle reminder to the church as they're running for their lives. Hey, don't forget, focus on Jesus. Same message for us today. If you would, on page, I wrote this one down, on page 354, or Psalms 121 is how we're ending today. So open your Bible to Psalms 121, and everyone should have a Bible on your lap. If you have the, your, your smartphone, pull that out, get the version up, um, grab a Bible from over there if you need it. Psalms 121, page 354 of the Blue Bible. This is how we're going to end today, in its reflection and, and meditation on who God is and, and who we are in Him. And church, I would ask you this week to focus on Psalms 121, especially in light of what we just read in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 and church let me read this and let's begin to meditate on this I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my hope come from my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, us, his church, will never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Church project, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And the church says, Amen. That's our hope. The person of Jesus, as the Lord keeps us, not our talents, not our education, not our 401ks, not our guns, the person of Jesus.